1: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
2: I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's what's ahead. Speculation, not diversification. That's what Bank of America says about owning Bitcoin. Why? Well, we're going to ask the man behind the call. Plus, more calming words from Fed Chair Powell. Not enough, though, to give investors confidence as rates continue to rise. Is this creating buying opportunities? That's the question we're asking. And in a move that will definitely be met with controversy, Instagram considering a version of its app for users under the age of 13 years old. The details straight ahead, but let's begin
3: with the markets this hour. My good friend, Dom Chu, Has that, Dom? My good friend, Mr. Sorkin. I do have the markets for you, and we are mixed in trading. And the general color scheme that you're seeing here has generally been the theme throughout the course of the day. It's been underperformance a little bit in the Dow Industrials, financials uh, to the downside, leading that kind of group lower. And the S&P 500 just about a quarter of a percent to the upside. The Nasdaq Composite outperforming some of those big cap tech names. We'll get to in a bit. Are bouncing just a bit, but at the lows of the day, the Dow was down 357 points. So to put that move in context, we can check that out. Interest rates continue to be a focus. Let's show you a one-week chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield. It's been a huge focus for traders, not just bond ones, but equity ones as well. 1.717 is the last trade there. At the highs that we saw this week, 1.75 roughly thereabouts was the high for interest rates. We've pulled back a bit. That's lending at least a little bit of a bid to some of those growth names and technology and media that we've seen. And speaking of, NVIDIA. On the chip side of things up about one and a third percent paypal one and a half percent gains netflix one percent gain one and three quarters for uber so many of these growth oriented names that rely on an interest rate differential in the markets that lends to their upper valuations are catching a bid today as interest rates pull back so it's a theme we'll watch throughout the course of the afternoon andrew i'll send things back over to you
2: thank you sir nice to see you midday meanwhile yes. uh, fed chair Trey, jay powell out with an op-ed in the wall street journal today He's highlighting economic progress, but saying there's still a lot of work to be done. Here's what he said. He said, quote, the recovery is far from complete. So at the Fed, we will continue to provide the economy with the support that it needs for as long as it takes. His promise of further support, not though calming investors fears, uh, though, as rates continue to rise and the tech sector is, as we've been watching all week on Edge, let's bring in David Katz, chief investment officer at Matrix Asset Advisors. Also, Guy Labaz here. He is the uh, chief uh, fixed income strategist at Jenny Montgomery. Scott, uh, good, good afternoon, I should say. I was going to say good morning. Good afternoon to both of you. David, I'm going to start with you. Um, can, can Jay Powell control the situation? And is it a problem that he's effectively uh, not saying that he has any ambition to do so?
4: On a daily basis, the answer is no. On a intermediate term basis, if the Fed keeps rates at zero or near zero, uh, they can provide a lot of liquidity to the market. And we don't think the market should get overly concerned about the Fed's actions. There are other things to worry about, but not the Fed in this case.
2: Okay. So the, oh, but before I get to Guy, the, the, the rotation we're seeing, you think is not
4: Fed related then? Well, the Fed is doing what the Fed is supposed to be doing the rotation that we're seeing we think makes uh, perfect sense if you look at the last fourteen recessions in the aftermath of the last fourteen recessions. Value has outpaced growth last year you had an enormous. Uh, overvaluation in a lot of growth in technology stocks. As the world is normalizing as the economy is opening up some of those stocks are coming back to earth. We think that makes enormous sense the. S&P is at 21, 22 times earnings. There are a lot of value areas, a lot of sectors in the market that are 14 to 16 times earnings. Money is starting to go to them. We think that is a much more sensible thing, and we don't think it's the Fed's job to try to control the stock market. Their job is to try to help the economy and to try to allow for liquidity so that none of their actions are hurting the overall economy or businesses.
2: Guy, what do you think about what David just said?
4: Well, I think today is a really great
5: sort of microcosm to almost pay attention for the broader equity fixed income markets to just how myopically we focus we seem to be on Fed policy. Now, this morning, the Fed made a relatively modest regulatory announcement that's probably going to have very minimal uh, effect, certainly very little effect, if any, outside the banking sector. And yet we have this massive instant market reaction and, and sort of breathless commentating on the matter in the morning. So when it comes to the long end of the yield curve, to some degree, it's a similar story. Right, most of the drivers of long term interest rates aren't going to be what the Fed does on a day to day basis, it's going to be where inflation moves. Um, And what the Fed is doing is simply allowing it to move higher, in theory, uh, should those pressures eventually emerge, allowing it to move higher than perhaps in prior cycles. Excuse me, prior cycles. Now, I don't think this needs to without at least unhinged trading on the long end of the curve, which we're very far from. Without that, I don't think it seed needs to have a negative feedback effect to the equity markets.
2: David, I got an equity question for you. I think there's a view. I think there's two, two schools of thought here. There's one school that says, welcome uh, to the roaring 20s, and here we go. There's another school that says, the, the roaring 20s just happened. We actually, oddly enough, already lived through it. And come 2022, 23, when the stimulus rolls off and everything else, that we're going to be back in the soup all over again. Which school are you in?
4: We're we're down the middle. It's very interesting. If you look at earnings growth over the last 70 years and its effect on stock markets, there's a very low correlation. It's about 1%, which is almost near zero. So we think the most important thing that we want is a better economy. Better corporate earnings and we think in terms of the stock market you want to look at stocks on a valuation basis you did have a very strong stock market in twenty twenty when the economy was just horrible so we think that you're gonna have a very good economy this year that doesn't mean you're gonna have a very good stock market we think the overall stock market probably is eight to ten percent over the next year maybe two years uh, and that can be happening during a uh, improving economy and a lot of expansionary policies.
2: Just to clarify, eight to ten percent annually or eight to ten percent over the next two years.
4: No, eight to ten percent annually. You know our best okay. guess for this year is you probably get eight to twelve percent when all said and done. A lot of areas are higher than that. We think that can continue to trickle up, but we do expect volatility this year. and we think the best advice is to not chase uh, what has been working, but rather go where things are gonna work in the next six to twelve months. So we think some of the areas of the market that have really done poorly, like health care, uh, consumer staples, telecom, utilities are going to be a better place on a go-forward basis, and we would not be jumping in with a lot of new money and technology. If anything, uh, we'd be buying dips in technology, but don't chase the rally, Dave. Guy,
2: final word to you. Uh, Looking at your crystal ball for two years, you in the same place that David's at or no?
5: Well, look, I'm pretty optimistic on economic growth here. I think there's a lot of things going for us. Also inflation. There's more forces pushing inflation higher than at any point really since the 1960s. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean we're certainly going to have inflation, but there is some upside chance there. That tends to come along with faster degrees of economic growth. There's tons of reasons to be optimistic. And I say that as a bond guy, we're a naturally pretty pessimistic breed.
2: I like it. I like it. Gentlemen, thank you. Uh, have a great weekend. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. you too. And folks, uh, if you're looking to buy consumer names, Goldman Sachs has a list of 13 stocks with 10% upside potential. And you can head to CNBC.com slash pro to see some of those names right now. Meantime, the underperformance in the healthcare sector, which we just uh, referenced there, has led to some outsized dividend yields among
3: blue chips in the sector. And Dom Chu is, is back. With some of those names. Dom. All right. So, Andrew, I, th- a great conversation that you guys just had about some of the value metrics investors are looking at. One of those value factors is something for dividend yield investors. If you look at the overall underperformance of the S&P 500 healthcare sector versus the S&P over the last year, it's handy. The market has really outperformed about 63 percent of the upside there. Healthcare is underperformed. It's only up by about 40 percent respectable, but still a 20 percentage point gap. One of the things factors that investors are looking at right now from a value perspective is dividend yields. Because take a look at this. I'm going to show you the last 10 years in terms of dividend yields for the S&P 500 healthcare sector versus the S&P 500 overall. The yellow line is the S&P 500, and the green line is the healthcare sector. As you can see, for the better part of the last decade, the yields on healthcare stocks have been below the overall market. Well, check out just what's happening right here. It's the first time in around eight years where there's a significant yield premium for healthcare stocks versus the overall market. So that might be something some investors are looking at. And Andrew, these are the stocks within megacap biotechnology and pharma that have some of the biggest yields in the S&P 500 healthcare sector. We're talking about AbbVie with a five percent yield, Pfizer four point four percent, Merck at three and a half percent, Bristol Myers Squibb a little over three percent, and then Amgen at three percent as well. These are the stocks that have been somewhat underperforming the overall market that could be due for a big, bit of a at least rotation into if you see those value factors coming into play, Andrew. So keep an eye on healthcare and some of those big dividend players. That dividend yield differential is something to watch for. Back over to you,
2: Dom. Thank you for that. I should just tell you, I love when you do stock analysis inside the subway station. I think it's just <laughs> it's a it's a great look for you. And it just it warms my heart to to know that you're spending time in in the New York City subway there. Yes, every um, once in a while. We'll <laughs> uh, <laughs> see you in a little bit. You got it. Have a great weekend. Coming up when we return, Bank of America says Bitcoin has nothing to do with diversification, volatility, or inflation protection. The only reason to own it? Speculation. Why? We will ask that question straight ahead. And here's a look at the biggest losers uh, this week in the NASDAQ after what's been a very volatile couple of days. Take a look at uh, some of these Uh You got Tesla, we got Zoom, so many others. The exchange is back right after this. The market doesn't
1: joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash moneytools.
2: Welcome back to The Exchange. We have talked ourselves into believing a lot of things about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. We hear things like great place to diversify, inflation hedge. We see big banks now working on access to crypto for individual investors. We have Visa MasterCard allowing customers to make payments with it. But Bank of America's global research is trying to debunk some of these ideas, saying, the only real reason to own Bitcoin is speculation, chasing higher prices. It's higher today, trading above $58,000. Uh, Francisco Blanche is here. He's the head of B of A's Global Commodity and Derivatives Research. He joins us now. So the question is, people may own it for speculative purposes, but at what point does, does, does the train ride end, if you will, if that's the case, right?
6: Right. Well, look, uh, I think... At the end of the day uh andrew uh this is about supply and demand we know the supply of uh bitcoin is capped at 21 million coins the supply growth rate of bitcoin is uh halving every four years so there's less and less bitcoin coming in so ultimately it's exactly what you said is when does the demand for the cryptocurrency uh, stop growing and ultimately that's a question of adoption so if adoption starts to falter um i think prices are going to come down pretty quickly um, but if it if it grows a lot more, then we have a different problem, which is the energy consumption of crypto, which is one thing our report highlights, is that prices at the end of the day drive energy demand, drive CO2 emissions. And the question is, do we really need to have such a polluting instrument uh, at the time when when um, we're trying to essentially go to net zero emissions in 30 years here?
2: Okay. But, but I, I think the question that we should be asking here is, let's say it's a speculative instrument. And and by the way, I think it's almost impossible to say right now that it isn't. But if you believe that it is some form of digital gold, it sounds to me like your view is that the current folks who have money in Bitcoin won't actually hold it when it gets to some kind of steady state that feels a little bit more like gold, because you'll think to yourself, I don't have a 10x opportunity. Going, going on in the future, therefore then I sell, therefore it pushes the stock down. I'm asking you, at what price does that happen?
6: Right, well, I mean, I think it's, it's impossible to tell, but one thing I'd say about prices in, in Bitcoin is that, um, remember, uh, in, in 2017, 2018, we had a big run-up in, in, uh, in prices that was led largely by retail investors flowing in. Uh, this time around, there's been a lot more institutional investors uh, coming through into, into the market, and we also know there's a lot of hedge funds in this trade. So I think if the hedge funds somehow smell that uh, that there is downside risk, they're all gonna try to get out. And and the other thing that we observed from our uh, from Bitcoin in our report is that it's driven by liquidity to the upside. Um, and that's something unusual. Most asset classes, Andrew, uh, when there's more liquidity, prices stabilize. In the case of Bitcoin, there's more liquidity and prices go up. That, that's kind of a very, very peculiar of- uh, What do you think the
2: downside risk is? It, it, at $58,000, since I'm struggling to get you to give me an upper end of this, what's your lower end of this?
6: Well, I mean, I, the, the reason the reason I, I can't do that is because we don't really have price targets uh, in our report. So so we haven't really uh, kind of come come down to that. But uh, one, one way to think about uh, downside risk in Bitcoin is the actual cost to, to produce it. Remember, it takes a lot of electricity. It takes a lot of computer chips. And today we think the cost of production of that Bitcoin, uh, the cost of mining it, so to speak, is right around uh, twenty thousand per per, uh, per coin so uh, that that sets in, in a way uh, some reference to the actual uh, cost um, there's no real intrinsic value but that's that's one one way to think about it
2: but if it were if it, look twenty thousand dollars if we get get back to 20 that's still actually higher meaningfully higher than where we were even six months ago so it, it, and it's interesting because literally a year and a half ago, you could you could still mint these coins for seven, eight thousand dollars a coin.
6: Right. And, and, and of course, uh, costs of production are variable, Andrew, uh, because they, they are pretty much lined up with the amount of, of hash power coming into a network. Um, and, and they do are somewhat linked to, to prices. Uh, today, if you wanted to buy mining equipment, uh, you really wouldn't be able to get your hands on it for probably another year. Um, because there's such a shortage of, of chips globally, and also the companies that produce uh, right. this mining equipment don't really have any more capacity to deliver that to you.
2: I, I don't want to go too, too deep into the weeds, but one of the things that's actually to me bullish about Bitcoin relative to the climate issue, and I just wrote about that in The New York Times two weeks ago, um, is this idea of some of these off-chain networks that are de- being developed, uh, like a Lightspeed and other things that are happening, so that effectively people can transact Without being on this very energy uh, energy reliant um, blockchain, if you will, right. does that not right. uh, is that not is that technology not not a bullish sign for you?
6: Uh, I, I think I think it is in terms of uh, a potential adoption. And uh, I saw your article in New York Times, great article. Um, you know, I I think medium term, and I, I get this question all the time: Are we going to go to a, a fully kind of renewable energy driven? Um, blockchain and, and 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 bitcoin network and i say yeah it's possible but look i'm, I'm an energy analyst by training I, I, i've looked at energy for more than 20 years I, and i can tell you well, you can't just shift overnight you can't just snap your fingers and drop all your carbon emissions uh it's going to take many many years and my my particular worry in the case of bitcoin is like prices rise too fast because we adopt it too fast and we right. don't let that technological uh, advance kind of play through uh we're going to end up with with a major environmental problem 12 to 24 months from now because of the speed at which this is happening, right. but you're right. I mean, medium term, there's there's solutions that are, are starting to show uh, and and that could help bridge this problem in five or ten years, but not overnight. You know,
2: clearly, you know, clearly, we're seeing retail get involved in in Bitcoin in a major way. We're starting to see hedge funds get involved. Um, some major banks are now uh, allowing clients to get exposure to it. Morgan Stanley recently, but exposure uh, through funds, not directly, which I think is an important distinction. The question I'd ask you is how you think about corporations, pension funds, endowments and the like, thinking about putting some of this on uh, their balance sheet and, and whether you're hearing more of that or you think that, that that's, that's pausing out after obviously some of the more famed names, including Elon Musk with Tesla doing something like that.
6: Um, so I've heard more noise about it. But, but the one thing I'll say is that when I ask the question, why do you want to have Bitcoin in your portfolio, um, what are you going to pay for, or were you, for in, in in terms of your input costs? If if you know you get Bitcoin, if you're a corporation, I'm not talking about investors. Investors have a di- different set of uh, uh, parameters when you make decisions, but corporations, and the answer is always the same. It's like, oh, we will have it in case uh, in case in case it goes up. So again, speculation, which I imagine. and then some people mentioned. Uh, hacks. If we get hacked, we may want to have some Bitcoin to pay for the hack, which I'm not even sure is uh, necessarily a legal reason to have it, but but that's one reason has been argued. So again, speculation or maybe you, you're facing a hack. That's the reason some corp. I mean all corporations again us in terms of why they would own Bitcoin. So investors have different priorities. So that's a different conversation.
2: Francisco, we got to leave it there. It's a longer debate. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I hope we can come on back and we can continue it at some point in the future. But thank you for the report and have a great weekend. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, When we come back after this, it is the story that has Wall Street buzzing junior bankers at Goldman Sachs, raising concerns about hours and conditions. One firm wants to stay ahead of that scrutiny, is trying to do it with peloton bikes and apple watches we'll tell you about the details of that and we're going to debate the whole thing after this you don't want to miss that conversation and don't forget you can watch us live anytime you can do it right now on the cnbc app the exchange is back
4: after a short break canva presents unexplained appearances it was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air also it's eerily on brand
5: Wait, did that agenda just write itself?
4: Words appear, making this unexplainable case.
5: Unexplainable?
6: It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds.
4: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
6: Canva.com, designed for work.
2: Welcome back to The Exchange. Stocks are mixed with the Dow down 357 at the lows. The S&P has now been hovering around Break even, the NASDAQ sitting near the highs of the day right now. Meantime, I want to check out some sectors energy, communication services, uh, your leaders right now, financials and materials, the biggest laggards right now. And here's some of the movers this hour. Take a look at shares of Visa. They're lower on a report that the ZOJ is now probing the company over a potential anti competitive practice in its debit card business. The stock on well, pace to snap a three week win streak. Take a look at shares of Nike because they're down on revenue miss and disappointing full-year outlook. Uh, Port-related shipment delays in North America, one of those headwinds there. Then finally, the NCAA tournament underway. Check out some of the sports betting stocks. DraftKings, Penn National Gaming, and Scientific Games all seeing nice gains today. I'm sure uh, Dave Portnoy is quite happy about that. Meantime, let's go over to Rahel Solomon for the CNBC News update. Rahel.
7: Hi, Andrew. Hello, everyone. The Wall Street Journal reports that some researchers believe that they have found the link between deadly blood clots and AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine. Two groups of scientists independently found that the vaccine could cause a rare autoimmune disorder leading to blood clots in the brain. The White House says President Biden will speak with Russian leader Vladimir Putin, quote, when the time is right. Putin has called for a live discussion between the two leaders after Biden said that he thought Putin was a killer. Four more women have sued Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson, accusing him of sexual assault and harassment. That now brings the total to seven lawsuits. Watson has denied any wrongdoing, but neither he nor his lawyer have responded to the new suits. And tune into the news with Shepard Smith for the latest on the growing number of accusations against the quarterback. Andrew, you are now up to date. I'll send it back to you.
2: Thanks for hell Have a great weekend. You too. Uh, meantime, coming up on the other side of this break, Instagram for kids. Yeah, that's for real. People, we're going to talk about that. And people are buying real clothes again. Can you believe that? The perks of being an associate at Jefferies. You might get a Peloton if you work there. And more coming up in today's rapid fire. You do not want to miss this. I've been I've been waiting all show for this. And it is Friday, and that means it's time to look ahead for what is in store for your money next week. Here is your Friday Fast Forward. It's the
0: last full week of the first quarter and it's going to be a busy one in Washington. Fed Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will testify before the House Financial Services Committee on Tuesday. The CEOs of Facebook, Alphabet, and Twitter will appear at a House hearing on misinformation, while President Joe Biden will hold his first formal press conference on Thursday. Plus, as supply tightens and mortgage rates climb, we'll get new and existing home sales for the month of February. And with states relaxing COVID restrictions, we'll get a check on how the consumer is faring with personal spending and consumer sentiment. KB Home, Winnebago, Darden Restaurants, and GameStop all reporting earnings. Traders will be closely watching GameStop's results, trying to justify its huge 1,000% gain so far this year. That's your Friday Fast Forward.
2: Okay, it's the moment you've all been waiting for, because I've been waiting for it. We want to catch up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It is time for my favorite, Rapid Fire. Uh, here with their takes on all of it, John Ford is here, Julia Borston, and CBC contributor Tim Seymour, CIO of Seymour Asset Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Here we go. we got so much to get through here. We've got our first topic, Facebook reportedly developing a version of Instagram for children under the age of 13. According to BuzzFeed News, an internal company post saying Instagram has identified youth work as a priority, and they're going to be focusing on building a version of Instagram that allows people under the age of 13 to safely use Instagram for the first time. So meanwhile, Facebook is up 9% since Monday for its best week since January. It's now on pace for its best month. Since August, I think everybody here is a parent on this rapid-fire uh, panel. <laughs> Julia Borston, I'm going to start with you. You know, I, 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 I want to get off this stuff myself, let alone have my kids on it.
7: Well, I, I, I feel the same way, Andrew, but here's the thing. Instagram has confirmed they're doing this. Adam Mosseri, CEO of Instagram, tweeted about it. He said that they want to find a safe way to allow all those kids who want to be on Instagram to do it in a way that's legal and safe. So I think what they're seeing here is an opportunity. They probably know that there are a lot of people under the age of 13 that are using their service, even though they shouldn't be. And they figure if they could do it in a way that parents can feel good about it, maybe that's a growth opportunity. And the key thing here, Andrew, is then they get access to that youngest demographic before they're harder to hold on to. So they want yeah, to make no, sure they can I get, catch them early I get in a way it, I that's not it. totally illegal.
2: OK, I get it. John Fort, though, I will tell you. I, so my son's been on YouTube uh, for better or worse. He, he created a video once and then he started to get, you know, likes and comments, some of the comments. He didn't like the comments that much. So how would you do you think they're going to be able to construct something that no that feels good? No, they are not. Andrew, you know, that. I mean,
8: uh, same boat. I, I've got barely two kids. Uh, under 13, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, and there is no good version of this of a platform where you're posting something and then waiting for people to like it or respond to it, right? And you're you're kind of living, uh, you know, on the edge, waiting for the validation of other people. There there are perhaps less harmful versions of it, but what really needs to happen, especially for kids that age, is for their self-esteem, their sense uh, uh, of value, to be based in other things other than the opinions of strangers. So the earlier you introduce to this i think the worse it is they need resources to be built up in other ways before they dive into this you know
2: cesspool okay so i'm with i'm with john and julia on this but tim as an investment this might be fabulous actually because by (laughs) the way my kids are going to be desperate to do this i'm not going to be able to stop them and then they're going to get hooked even earlier right
9: so my parent hat's with everyone else here. Uh, my investor hat is there's a reason why Facebook trades at a, at a discount, I think, to to its growth level and its dominance. Uh, look, and last quarter, their ad growth. Everything we know uh, about the core businesses, including Instagram, is is what should have the stock trading at more like 30 times. But look, you know, if you put up $14 uh, 2021, excuse me, 2022 earnings multiplier, earnings per share on a, and a 20, you know, multiple, I mean, it's, it's a $280 stock, you know, to me, Facebook trades at a discount for a reason. And it's a lack of trust, not just, you know, on the, on the, you know, on the level that we're all talking about, but I think from an investor's perspective, I think with how they value their core business and they're being one step ahead of regulators. So I I, I don't want to own it. And I think the valuation makes sense.
2: Okay. We're going to pivot to topic number two. We're talking about the subscriptions to streaming services because globally it's now surpassed a billion for the first time ever. With more people watching from home, box office sales collapsing in 2020, down 72% year over year. How much of a rebound can we expect this year? Julia, you're our our Hollywood watcher. How much of a rebound can we expect? And by the way, at some point, if there is a rebound on that end, does that mean that, that some people are gonna cancel some of these streaming services?
7: Well, don't get ahead of yourself, Andrew. I think there will be a rebound. But the question of how big the rebound is, I think, in a lot of ways, depends more on the vaccine rollout than anything, because there are going to be so many movies released in theaters, particularly in the second half of the year, that were held back from earlier. Whether it was the James Bond movie that was delayed many, many times, or all of these Warner Brothers movies that are going to be available at home, but also uh, in theaters. So yes, there's going to be a ton of amazing content. This is going to be event content, superhero type content that typically gets people into theaters. I think going forward, we will see an increase, whether it goes back to pre-pandemic levels this year, I think it's going to be too early, but I don't think that's going to cannibalize the subscriptions that people are getting a lot out of at home. And I think that the bar is just going to be higher to get people out out of their houses and into theaters when they're going to be able to watch a lot of this content at home right now.
2: John Ford, nah, what do you say?
8: I think we're heading for, like, streaming musical chairs. I mean, there's only so many hours you've got in a day, so many dollars for the most part. Eventually, there's going to be a bit of a downturn. And then, you know, that boomerang subscription or, you know, whatever. Like, th- there's something that is going to go away. And I think it's going to be, you know, maybe Netflix, Disney Plus are going to stick around. People are going to think about Hulu, how locked in are into a larger Disney bundle are they. But now's the time to position yourself so you're not...
2: That you know, that first chair to get pulled when right. uh, the music stops. Hey, John. John, technology question for you. When does Apple or somebody else develop an app that they say is consumer friendly, so that you can turn on and off these streaming services almost at will by month? Huh? Because that to me is when this all changes, and I, I could never, see Tim Cook yeah, coming Joe. out of the way he's the way he's gone after advertising. He's, he might say, look, what's good for the customer is to be able to turn these things on and off, not to get suckered in to these things and then get stuck yeah. with it for six months longer than they ever watch it.
8: Never. These things are roach motels. Like you, you, you get in, you can't get out. I mean, the same thing with Apple, like so many things are easy with Apple, but quitting their services is like the least easy thing.
2: Tim, which, which roach motel are you buying right now?
9: Look, I'm long Disney, and I think, you know, their streaming business and the multiple re-rating there, like if Netflix is trading at 53 times, Disney's now at 40 times. So first of all, to be clear, I think it's had that re-rating. And you can make an argument that maybe, you know, AT&T and the Time Warner and the HBO Max assets are are things that still need to revalue. But um, look, I I think the multiples are staying high. I think this is the nature of where we are. Linear TV is dead. I think the traditional distribution
2: system is dead. Uh, And I would not be fading uh, those winners from COVID. Okay, let's uh, go to topic number three right now. As more people getting vaccinated, retailers they are getting ready for a surge in demand. A new survey from NDP- NPD Group saying that more than half of U.S. consumers plan to buy apparel in the coming months, making it the top category of anticipated spending, followed by footwear and beauty products. What do you think? I mean, I, have not, I haven't bought anything. But I do know, like, signature sleeves <laughs> are a big deal, right, for women. And people are talking for, about peacocking. Why do you know they're that, They're going to go out and they're going to peacock with bright colors. Why do you know about we signature had De-
8: sleeves? I don't even know what signature we, sleeves we, are.
2: We just had Dionne von Furstenberg okay. on the show, on Squawk Box yesterday. Signature sleeves are for Zoom. Uh, if you're a woman, you have signature sleeves because that's that's what pops on the Zoom. And so... This is what's this is what's going on in in the fashion world, but you don't. Why need just women, Peacock? Come on, you're peacocking all the time. But 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 Julia, I mean, come on. What what, what what do you say here?
7: I think that there's going to be this new world where people want to look like they're wearing regular clothes, but they also want to be comfortable, and we're starting to see this in some trends, like with Express, they're having flexible fabric. So people are going to buy things that look like jeans, but maybe they're a little bit more comfortable. The one thing I think is going to have a hard time. Yes, people are want to get, going to want to get dressed up again, but high heels, man, I used to run around in three, four inch heels and not think twice about it. But now I'm going to be thinking about the sneakers and flats I've been wearing. So I wonder where the trends are going to go in the shoe department.
2: Tim, are you wearing sneakers right now? I kind of think you are. I'm wearing socks.
9: Uh, sorry, I hate to really give everyone more probably information than they wanted. But they're and they're athletic socks, too. So it's an even worse look than, than you're imagining. Um, I, okay. I, you know, I think the beauty trends are the ones to, to play on, too. I think Ulta over Lululemon is the trade
2: based upon the weakness in the shot in the stock. And I think right. um, beauty continues to be a, a great segment. Well, I should tell you, I'm wearing Lululemon ABC uh, men's pants. Ralph Lauren suit on top, should you pants on the that? bottom. Yes, you are. I'm just, just, just telling you. Meantime, uh, finally, uh, on the same day that Goldman Sachs, uh, that survey went uh, viral, uh, junior bankers, of course, back then complaining uh, about a crushing workload. We, we should debate that, too, by the way. Jeffrey's sending out a memo that says that uh, more than thousands of, a thousand of its analysts and associates Uh, not just thanking them for their work, but saying they can now get a gift from the company, including a Peloton bike with a one-year subscription, a mirror home workout system, or an Apple package. They're giving out an Apple Watch, an iPad, and AirPod Pros. First of all, before we even get into this gift-giving situation, (laughs) uh, who is in the the crowd of sympathy for this overwork happening on Wall Street, these highly compensated people? Are you sympathetic? Are you unsympathetic? I'm sympathetic. And plus, that to me is the gifts, debate. Are these like the little fluttering things that come to the
8: come tributes in the Hunger Games? It's like if you survive and you get to use this thing. Uh, I mean, I, I know that there's this culture on Wall Street where it's like there's a whole herd of people and then we thin the herd to see who survives. There are probably a lot of really smart people who could do a li- lot of really great work who don't want to be hazed that way. It probably doesn't serve Wall Street really well. There are
2: better ways, I think, of getting work done. Tim, it sounds like you have a small violin out. What's going on? No, no no violin. Look, I was lucky if they bought me a pizza
9: when I worked all night in my early analyst days. So no, I, you know, I, I, it tells me that the bankers are making too much money right now. I realize Wall Street is competing with other industries, certainly tech and startups. Um, but Look, paying with a Peloton or other perks um, may actually be much more uh, cost effective than than some of the other, just paying them,
2: cutting them checks. Um, But no, I don't feel bad for bankers. Sorry. Julio, how do you feel? And which one would you take if you had the choice? You You have three options.
7: Well, I think for the for the health of these bankers, maybe the Peloton would be a good thing if they're sitting there in the same position all day. But I think, look, I think that these banks are going to be competing increasingly with Silicon Valley companies, with startups for top talent. And I think that burning people out is not the best way to get the best out of them. There's so much data about how important sleep is, how people think better and are much more productive if they can get a little bit of rest. So I think ultimately, it's in the best interest of everybody if they can work out a system where 90-hour weeks are not necessary in order to succeed. It's not going to help the banks over the long run if that's how they figure out if, if your ability to go without sleep is how they figure out if they want to promote you or not.
2: Julia Borston with the enlightened take on all of it. John Ford, thank you. <laughs> Tim Seymour, thank you. What fun. I told you guys this was going to be the best segment of the hour, and we just did it. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. <laughs> Uh, When we come back after this, e-commerce has been booming over the past year, and according to the founder of Jet.com, it is here to stay. And Nate Faust is going to be joining me to discuss what that means for retailers and his latest venture next. And it is Women's History Month. We're spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors. Check this out.
4: Ann Richards, former governor of Texas, used to say in a crowded room that Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in high heels. Beyonce, she always says never let success go to your head and more importantly never let the failures go to your heart and finally some dime store advice from me work smarter not harder most important believe in yourself because if
7: you believe you will be believed.
2: Welcome back to the exchange this afternoon COVID lockdowns accelerated e-commerce adoption in a major way 2020 seeing over 860 billion dollars in online orders up 44% from the previous year, but all of these orders have created a figurative and yet literal mess. The sheer volume has now slowed delivery times, and just think of all the cardboard. A startup called Olive is attempting to offer a solution, and joining us right now is Nate Foss. He's the founder of Olive and a former executive of e-commerce supply chain and logistics at Walmart. Nate, it's great to see you. Uh, You do have a solution. Explain what you're trying to do here, uh, both with cardboard and with shipping times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, for, thank you for having me on the show today, Andrew. So, you know, probably about a year ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I had this epiphany while taking out my own recycling and trash that it's pretty crazy that we're this far into e commerce and the status quo delivery experience is a cardboard box filled with air bubbles. You know, nearly 10 billion of them come to us each year. And so at Olive, what we're creating is a solution for both consumers and the environment to eliminate the hassle, eliminate the waste, and also reduce the number of last mile stops of trucks at your home homes that drop off all these packages, which are you know, an, an equivalent part of the environmental
2: impact. I, was, I have two questions. Before we even hit the cardboard element, one of the things we all love, and we were, for better or worse, becoming accustomed to is the idea of two-day shipping, if not one-day shipping, if not you know, give it to me in an hour shipping. That's not great for the environment. Do you think that you're going to be able to change people's habits or is that not not on the cards here?
0: No, so I think what we've discovered through extensive consumer research and you know even before that I've been part of a lot of those those speed speedy shipping launches over the over the last decade and including taking Walmart to 2-day shipping and the next-day shipping while I was supporting the the supply chain there. And through extensive research what we've found is that there's other elements of the delivery experience that consumers would actually prefer over speed, but just aren't being offered today. And one of those is the elimination of the packaging waste and the other, which is an even bigger benefit of the, the olive experience when you, know, you shop through any of our 100, nearly 100 affiliated retailers, all of your returns, we pick up directly off your doorstep. There's no labels to print, no post office trips. And so it's really, it's a convenience play for consumers more than a sustainability
2: play. Okay, so my next question is for you, long term, what the goal is. um, You know, what's so interesting about what happens in the United States is an Amazon or a Walmart uses a UPS, a FedEx, somebody else, right, to ship everything. You go to South Korea, where Coupang, uh, which is now a publicly traded company, they're end to end. And so they've actually they're actually to some degree doing what you're doing, right They've gotten rid of the box they'll, they'll come with uh, something that's returnable they'll take the return from you. long term, do you think that an Amazon or a Walmart does an end-to-end product and do you become part of that?
0: So I think Korea, th- that market is a different dynamic. you know in fact, I actually helped coupon launch their first e-commerce fulfillment center back in 2013, and you know they've done incredible things since then. Um, that's a more densely populated country, eliminating boxes and doing overnight shipping at the same time is a much greater challenge in the, in the US. But I do think as both consumers and environmental regulation around waste becomes a bigger part of the, the narrative, a solution that has less waste but also has benefits to the consumers, is bound to to take hold in the in the long run.
2: Well, Nate, uh, we very much appreciate you joining us. I'm I'm thrilled to uh, follow your progress and see where this all goes. And I hope uh, that we can continue this conversation in the future.
0: Likewise, thank you for having me, Andrew.
2: Good, good luck. You bet. When we come back after this, if ending the pandemic wasn't enough to get people to follow COVID safety protocols, some companies are hoping that cold hard cash is. Yeah, we're going to be talking about companies that are effectively bribing their employees. That's what's happening, and that's what we're going to talk about next. Welcome back to the exchange. Uh, businesses are starting to incentivize employees and customers to get vaccinated, and Elon Moore joins us now with more on that. Elon.
10: Well, Andrew, for anyone who is on the fence about getting the vaccine, maybe a little cash could change your mind. Companies like Kroger, Petco, and Bridgestone Tires, they're all paying workers bonuses if they roll up their sleeves and get the shot. Love's Travel Stops operates nearly 500 truck stops and service centers across the country. It has 30,000 employees and the company's offering $75 to those who get vaccinated. Love's President Shane Wharton said roughly 500 people have signed up for the cash so far, but he expects that number to grow fast as more workers become eligible for the shots.
5: We didn't want any of our employees to have any disincentive to to go and get the vaccine because in some cases they may have to wait in line for a while. So we wanted to make sure that uh, we compensated them and, and provided incentive for them to do that.
10: Now, the company's even taking it one step further, holding a vaccination clinic today for the 1500 employees at its headquarters in Oklahoma City.
0: I'm actually going to donate mine to a local charity uh, uh, on behalf of LUBS. If I can use that $75 to go ahead and and protect myself and then in the end go ahead and help other people uh, with it down the road, then uh, I think uh, all the more the better.
10: Now, Loves will hold another clinic for cash on Tuesday, but what it's doing is still the exception, not the rule. A survey by the Society for Human Resource Management found that 88% of employers have no plans to offer incentives for getting the vaccine. But Andrew, it's worth pointing out that among those who are hesitant about getting the shot, nearly a quarter of them said that free money can make a difference. Back to you.
2: Well, that's what I was gonna ask you, which is what dollar amount do we think makes a difference? If you're hesitant, if you're thinking, I don't want to do this, what's what's, where is the line? Is it 50 bucks? Is it 100 bucks? What is it?
10: Yeah, so this is a fascinating behavioral economics experiment right here. You know, is this a reward? for doing something that some say is the right thing to do to end the pandemic? Or is this trying to change people's minds? One more wrinkle for this here you know, the incentives so far are between 50 to $100. But one more wrinkle is that if the amount is too high, then companies can actually be seen as doing something that's coercive to their employees and discriminating against those who don't get the vaccine. That could run afoul of the EEOC. So a lot of companies are asking for clarity on how exactly to proceed in offering these incentives.
2: It's so fascinating. So, okay, so, but what happens if a company that's offered money to incentivize people, maybe they get to 60, 70%, but they can't capture that last 30%, do they start offering more to the last 30% that are the holdouts?
10: sort of like the wait list at an airline, right? You get more money if you wait to the end. Uh, Unclear. They haven't gotten to that point yet. I did ask the Love's uh, president if he plans on making this mandatory for any employees. So far, they say that it's a personal decision. They're not going to require it, but they're trying to nudge people in what they feel is the right direction.
2: Love it. Uh, Elon. uh, appreciate the stories. Some people call it incentive. Some people call it a bribe. And that's the debate. You've been listening to
1: The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.